you know, to me, when I think of power couple, that is, I think of, you know, the original creation, Adam and Eve in the garden where everything is just beautiful, thriving, flourishing, multiplying. God puts them together. He's like, now this is good, right? Now this is good. Before it was just man, it was incomplete. But Eve was brought as the crown of creation. She was brought to the party so that they could come together, have dominion, dominion over the plants and the animals and the earth that they could tend the garden, that they would be fruitful and multiply and that they would be the mother and father of nations. Like this is like awesome, right? And that's just like such a powerful, beautiful image. And we think about that in our lives today and on the earth, it's like, that idea of just having someone next to you, that husband, that wife, that is like, they are there with you, for you. You're there for them, but you're there for something so much greater. And there's this magnetic force between the two of you, which I believe is like creation power, right? The passion, the polarity, the magnetism of an integrated masculine and feminine, like really in deep devotion and submission to each other and to something greater is, is absolutely just magnificent, magnificent. Yeah, like what is your idea, your philosophy? Like when I say power couple, maybe you have a different version of that for you, like sacred union. That's another way that I describe it, right? It is truly sacred. It is so special. And, you know, I talk about this with my husband a lot. We have this conversation about fiercely protecting our marriage, fiercely protecting spiritually, energetically, and physically our relationship from any external outside infiltration, right? And that could look like gossip or talking about our problems with other people or asking the wrong people for counsel or trusting the wrong people or also opening spiritual doors to infiltrate our marriage, right? So it's like this fierce protection. When we have sacred union, it is really a sacred space when we come together. So for me, this is something that, again, the reason why we're having this series is I believe that we are divinely created. It is our divine design to have this incredible sacred union as a man and a woman coming together, husband and wife, to be fruitful in all areas, not to settle, <laughs> not to be complacent and fine and going through the motions, not to be strangers living in the same house, sleeping in separate bedrooms or sleeping in the same bed, facing different directions. Although I know that happens sometimes not to be complacent and bored, but really to amplify. You know, when I think of amplification, I think of multiplication. It's not one plus one is two. It's one plus one times one. One plus one is like exponentially blowing everything up, multiplying around you. And so when I think of power couple, I think of this beautiful sacred design to come together. And literally when the two come together, there's instant amplification of all of their gifts all of our divine gifts, right? Each one of us has very unique gifts that we have been, have been bestowed because gifts are bestowed, they're given, and they're in us. And some of us have not discovered the gifts have been sitting all along, but we have not acknowledged them. We have not discovered them. We have not picked them up. We have not used them. We have not claimed them. 
Maybe we have been doubting them, questioning them. They've been like in the corner and they've like dusted out, right? And sometimes it takes a season of life or a circumstance to take us through a dark moment where our gifts are delivered. And like they were always there, but they're discovered, they're awakened, they're rattled up. But I think like we are hit this in our relationship where we really come into this sacred union. The amplification of our gifts is something that absolutely happens without a shadow of a doubt. And we begin to see the gifts in each other. In the last episode, I talked about, you know, a mother reminding her child about who she is. And, I, you know, is it, it is also so that as, as man and woman come together and a woman honors and respects her husband, her partner, like the masculine, the of God's masculine heart and God's design in him, when he doubts himself, when he's struggling, when he's struggling to see if he has what it takes to provide, if he's struggling with his level of presence or capacity or making decisions, or is he's having a moment, right, where something's going on with his body or his health or relationships in his life, she is there as the whisper to remind him, remind him of who he is, who he is designed to be, what the gifts are inside of him, right? Like, though I always say a queen's whisper can mobilize an army, it can really mobilize an army. It amplifies and edifies and builds him up. And so it is for a husband, the masculine, his presence, his structure, his strength is like a rock for her to feel safe, to feel protected, to feel fully seen, and she can relax. And when the feminine is relaxed, woo, watch out, because good things happen, right? Like we are able to birth. It's just like giving birth. We relax, we open up, we flourish, we become light. You know, a light, happy, relaxed woman is just magnetic, right? Like we are just like radiating, you know, the beauty that is inside without trying to be beautiful. We just allow the beauty to shine. We just allow the ideas to flourish. We just allow the love to pour out because we feel safe, because we are protected, because we are amplified. So the sacred union, the power couple union begins with knowing who really is in charge. <laughs> who really is in charge? There are things that are going to come at us that we are not in control of. There are going to be waves and seasons and tides and storms. And there's going to be an outpouring of blessings and opportunity showing up at divine timing and divine order. And we're not going to even have anything to do with that other than just being positioned to make a decision to say, yes, we're doing this. We're making the move. We're starting the business. We're doing this. Right? When we realize that we are under a greater force, our creator, the way maker, the keeper, the faith builder, the protector, the future planner, the one who already knew us in our mother's womb, and the one who knows everything before us that's going to happen and has given us free will and choice to choose and opt in at any moment, right, to the destiny that's for us or to push it away. It really changes the name of the game because now I'm not the source, you're not the source. We're not fighting against each other, but we are doing something much greater than number one. And though that I am, you also know that I am. I am Christine. I am a woman. I am a mother. I am a lover. 
right? I am a daughter. I am a friend. I am a child <laughs> with childlike wonder. I am an oracle and a prophetess at times, right? I am. And yeah, I said that because <laughs> I do believe that's one of our gifts, a gift of prophecy, of wisdom, of insight. And he knows who he is. I am the rock. I am the steady. I am the man in this relationship. I am the masculine presence. I am he, right? And so we are not entangled with each other. See, sacred union, and there's a lot of um, pictures out floating on the internet and on Instagram and like these twin flames and you're just so like entangled that you lose yourself in each other. And I don't believe that that is our design at all. We are deeply connected, yes, at a spiritual level. We are there and it can feel just like we melt into each other at times, but we must recognize that we have unique roles to bring to the sacred union. Otherwise, we're just like, we are one and we're also individual, right? It's like the, like the Trinity, like it's that same image of the Trinity. Like I'm one, but we're also separate. It's like we're one family, right? But there's a mother, there's a father, there's children. Like we all have our unique role or our unique assignment. And when we come together in flow and we work together, we're for each other, we build each other up, the whole thing begins to thrive. Couples who are thriving in relationship together, building each other up, multiplying, being prosperous in all arenas of life are coming into their relationship, into all of the things in their life from an empowered place together, right? Creating a space for each other to discover their strengths instead of, you know, pointing out all of the weaknesses. And today I really want to talk about, you know, what are we getting? What are we getting from playing the savior? We talked about that a little bit, but what is actually happening to the other person, to the dynamic of the relationship? And how do we give back the power? How do we get to a place where we redistribute basically the power where it belongs so that we can come to this relationship where we're both giving from a really grounded, beautiful place? And um, we can actually be a couple instead of be mommy and daddy or savior and, uh, you know, person that needs to be saved or whatever. So let's just, let's go back to the beginning. So what are we getting? I mean, I talked about this a little bit last time, but when we play the savior, what are we really doing here? We, we're trying to feel in control by fixing the lives of everyone else, often in order to distract ourselves from our own anxiety, our own sense of feeling out of control, our own sense of feeling powerless about situations. And also, you know, when we help others, it does induce, it does ignite this sense of validation that, okay, I'm needed, I have worth, I, you know, I am a necessary element here. And, um, you know, the amount of validation we get from these external um, relationships, people, achievements, accomplishments, checking things off our list. We need to check in with that because a lot of high achievers, high performers, go-getters, type A personalities, you know, not just all type A personalities, but a lot of us who have been trained to drive and press forward, we pride, we pride ourselves on being the ones who have all the answers, who can fix all of the problems, right? We're just wired and programmed that way. 
and it does feel good for a long time. But here's what's actually happening. You know, I just want to really go back and point out that you know, when I have gone back and experienced this in my own life or I see myself falling into this pattern or I witness it in clients that I'm working with right now, there are massive things going on below the surface that the fixer, the savior, et cetera, is really uncomfortable with, right? Um, there's a sense of underlying dis-ease, anxiousness, um, about something going on, right? They feel out of control. I've already mentioned that. So it's easy to just grab the reins, take action. So these are the people who are usually fueled more by, you know, like, I will not lose control here. I will not let someone else take the reins. Like it's, it's a lot of, yeah, fear, control and pride. So we got to upgrade here. This is about getting a conscious and strategic upgrade. Let's tune in. You know, what is the energy that I'm in? What is the level of consciousness that I'm in when I'm playing that savior? And what am I actually getting from it? One of the exercises I'm going to throw a real practical tool out there is, you know, whenever people are saying I'm in this loop, I hate it. I don't know why I keep going through this, even though it feels like crap. I make them write a list. I actually tell them, write a list right now of no less than 5,200 benefits that you're getting from playing the savior or, you know, whatever the pattern is, because you're getting something out of it in a dysfunctional way, right? And so what we want to really do is start to upgrade how and where we're getting our validation, our sense of worth, our level of certainty, right? Our focus and, and upgrade where that comes from, the source of that. Because I'm telling you, when we are getting that fuel that those needs which they are needs we we've, we've got an innate need to know that we are worthy right that we are here on purpose for a purpose that so we have an innate need to feel a level of certainty i mean and safety that is just every human on the planet has that but the question is where are you getting those answers met are you constantly seeking someone outside of you or need a project or something to distract you or are you able to sit in the discomfort and find the certainty deep within, right? What can we really control? I saw a sticker the other day that said, relax, nothing is under control. And that is so true. Everything. The only thing that we know for sure is that everything can change at any moment in time. Nothing is really guaranteed. And so the question is, can we rest? Can we rest in the knowing that you know, nothing is really under control. Anything can shift at any moment in time. And can I be calm in the midst of chaos? Can I be calm in the storms? Can I be a grounded guiding light for others without having to be controlling, <laughs> right? Here's, here's something that I hear a lot. I hear this a lot. Well, he, he, if he loved me, if she loved me, he wouldn't or she wouldn't. Another thing that I hear often is like, well, if he did love me, then he wouldn't have done this. Clearly you don't love me. How many times do we throw these daggers, these daggers at each other? And we're like, well, clearly you don't love me because you said this or you did that or whatever. And I actually do a lot of work with my clients around this whole concept, this whole idea that, you know, if we loved each other, we wouldn't act this way. And I'm gonna ask you a question. Have you ever yelled at your child, lost your shit, done something in the heat of the moment out of reaction, said things 
that you deeply regret to your children, to the people you love most in your life? I'm sure that you have. And does that mean that you don't love them? Does it mean you don't love your child because you lost your shit on them? <laughs> does it mean you don't love your husband or your wife because that one time when you were stressed out and anxious or had too many drinks or whatever it was, it was so much going on, you felt overwhelmed, you spewed out some insecurities and resentment that you hadn't talked about for a long time. Does it mean you don't love him or her? Or does it mean that there is unresolved unhealed, unspoken things inside of you that have been stirred up in that moment and you reacted in that moment, you reacted to the external stimuli, to the trigger and it activated something inside of you and you, what was inside of you came out of you. See, I think that sometimes we, we associate, well, you know, if you do this, you say this, you don't love me. Well, here's the thing. Is it possible to love someone and still say hurtful things, do hurtful things? The answer is yes, of course, we're humans. And I think the first step here is, are we willing to stop putting each other on these perfectionist pedestals with full of expectations? They say, well, I need you to be the perfect union, the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect child, the perfect whatever. And if you aren't, then that means something about me. Do we see how we begin to you know, give the other person all this power over our identity. What does this say about me? Who is now answering life's essential question of am I loved? Which I believe is a question that is designed for us to take internally and wrestle with internally and ask of ourselves and ask of God, am I loved? Ultimately, I know I am loved because the fact that I was created is evidence of it alone. Of course I am loved and I am lovable, right? What am I in love with? What, what do I love and appreciate in my life? Now, is my behavior a reflection of it is a different question. <laughs> because a lot of us grew up in a lot of dysfunctional homes where we saw things, we witnessed things, we became things as a product of our environment. We, we adopted distorted versions of what love looks like and what love means. Right. And as a result, we have a distorted imprint program running that I can love you and actually do really harmful things to you or love sounds like yelling, screaming, passionate lovemaking afterwards. Right. Or love looks like walking on eggshells and never telling, you know, never ruffling anyone's feathers and just making sure that we keep a peaceful state, which is actually a joke because really everyone can cut the tension in the air with a knife. Right. So here's the thing I invite us to really adopt. First of all, come back to love is an essence. Love itself is God. God is love. Love is all that God is, you know, and in the heart of God is love. The heart of our divine reflection of God is love. When we come back into union with him, what we experience is this overwhelming love. And sometimes in relationship, we can feel overwhelmed with all of these feelings and it awakens our heart and it unlocks our heart. And all of a sudden our eyes are open to the beauty around us. All of a sudden, you know, the grass looks greener, the skies look bluer, the future looks more promising. What has happened is that we got, you know, we, something external allowed us to boom, unlock the heart and allow us to experience the state, the state of love. 
But a lot of times we are confused and we confuse ecstasy or this sort of blissed out high vibrational feeling, feeling that is fleeting with love. Love is deep. Love is vast. Love is wide. And love is unchanging. But we can feel feelings that we have labeled as love. That's like, oh my gosh, I'm so in love with this. And it's kind of like this, ah, blissed out happy moment. But if we're chasing that feeling, we're not really anchored in love. When we are anchored in love, we're anchored to the state of love and of being loved and of being loving. And so now the question becomes, does my behavior reflect, is my behavior, the verb, my doing a reflection of the love, the state that I'm choosing to be in? If I choose love, I believe love is a choice, just like any state. We choose consciously or unconsciously, we are opting into the state that we choose to be in. There's a lot of us who've unconsciously been programmed to select dissatisfaction discontentment, um, sadness, fear, <laughs> um, jealousy as a baseline state. To be in a state of love is to choose love every day. You wake up and you're like, God, I am so grateful to be alive. Thank you for filling my heart with love. Thank you for connecting me to you know, the state of love, your love, the love that you have placed inside of me. And let me operate from this state of love today. Let me love my husband. Let me love my kids. May I love the life that I've been given. It is a choice to be in the state. Okay, so I really want to make sure that we are super clear on that, that love is the state, the ultimate state of intimacy with the heart of God. And it is a state that is overwhelmingly creates a sense of ease and peace within us, the peace beyond understanding. And we are filled with the knowing that we are loved, but we can feel that standing on top of a mountain. You know, I think all of us, like for me, it's happened so many times in nature where I've just oh, been standing on the, you know, by the ocean on a cliff, climbing a mountain at the top of a ski hill. I, I remember very specifically being in the middle of a lake, in the middle of a half Ironman race. I was in the middle of a race, swimming whatever, how many kilometers that is in the lake. And it was up in Muskoka and I was swimming and I remember tears of just pure joy running down my eyes in the water. And I was crying and I was swimming and I was like, thank you, God, I am so overwhelmed with joy and love. Like I get to do this. I get to be here. I get to love this life. Like I get to, wow, right? But it's choosing the states instead of waiting for the state to come to us. And this is where I think we get it wrong. We wait for our husbands, for our wives, for our kids, for someone to say, you know what, you look amazing. I love you. You're beautiful. You do everything right. Oh my gosh. And we wait for other people to worship us. We wait for other people to give us all of this validation before we act from a place of love, before we choose love as a state, before we choose to do the loving thing. True freedom comes from within, that I can feel loved. I know I am loved, even in the moment where my husband's giving me a dirty look or 
and by the way, Mark does not give me dirty looks, but <laughs> I'm throwing that out there, or he's dissatisfied with something, or so I'm being criticized for something, or someone says something negative on one of my posts, or, you know, disagrees with me. It's like, I know I'm still loved in the moment, regardless of someone else's behavior. That's power. That's empowerment. That's freedom versus enslavement. So I want to move to the next piece is that we can be in a state of love. And if we're choosing to be in the state and we're choosing to operate from the state, we train ourselves in the action. The, the action is the training piece. So every day I get to wake up, choose the state, anchor myself in it, and then action speaks louder than words, right? Action is what mobilizes Everybody, you know, so 99% of the people are waiting for someone else to mobilize first. I'm waiting for him to text me first. I'm waiting for him to tell me first. I'm waiting for her to do the right thing. And the same thing I tell everyone is if you are choosing love, then you are choosing to go first. Leaders go first. I'm choosing to do the loving thing first, right? And sometimes he goes first and it's amazing and it feels great. And the more we just move, the more we just act because that's who we are. That's what we're choosing. That's what we're choosing to operate from. The beautiful thing is the more comes back to us, <laughs> the more love comes back. The more we wait, the more the other person waits. The more we're waiting on them to be perfect, the more they're waiting for us to be perfect. And so the rigmarole continues. So is it possible to love someone and do really hurtful things? to love someone and have affairs? Is it possible to love someone and be passive in a relationship? Is it po Yeah, it's possible. And it's painful for both parties because everyone knows you're out of integrity, out of alignment. Eventually, it kills the soul. The second piece I want to unpack here is honor and respect. And they do tie hand in hand. And I believe when we choose love, and we're choosing to do the loving thing, where we actually begin to move into the place of honor I honor you. Like I really honor who you are. I honor who God has created you to be. I honor the character of the man and the woman. I honor where you're at in this season of your life. Like can we truly honor each other's feelings? The fact that, you know, your wife says she's struggling or your husband is, you know, feeling anger right now or your child is going through something and they're anxious or feeling depressed. Or can we just be okay with letting them be and feel what they're feeling can we honor them without trying to jump in and fix them without having to coach them without having to defend ourselves if somebody says you know what? i'm really upset about this thing that happened this thing that i heard you say about me or you said this or when you did this this made me upset the the think about that when someone tells you that something you did upset them do you get defensive right away do you start explaining yourself do you start you know defending and explaining or trying to justify or throw it back at them and remind them of the way that they offended you. Because that, my loves, is dishonor. Dishonor. And I know dishonor really well because it was my M.O. If I was dating someone or in my ex, you know, with my relationship with my ex, if they ever told me that I did anything wrong, <laughs> any kind of criticism, anything that I could, that I did that upset them right away, I had so much armor on as a warrior fighting all the wrong battles that I would throw it right back in their face and be like, yeah, well, I wouldn't be this way if you didn't do this. I completely dishonored their frustrations, their pain, 
their hurts, their insecurities. I took everything personally. I made everything about me. And that is so dishonoring to them. So one of the practices I teach all of my clients is, you know, when your partner or your child or, you know, maybe there's someone on your team is coming and saying, you know, I'm feeling X or this happened and this made me upset. Can we honor each other enough to just listen, to be okay with the fact that this person's allowed to feel what they feel? Their perception is their reality, right? If I look, because perception is our projection, like what I see is what is coming out of me. So how can you argue with me about what I'm seeing? It's like the projector is inside of my mind. The the lights, you know, are coming out of my eye, like the whatever (laughs) the, the projection thing comes out of, the lens are my eyes. So I'm literally projecting whatever's inside of me out into the world around me. So when people are doing this and they're like, this is what I see, this is my reality. And we get angry and we're like, how can you see that? What's wrong with you? And we start grumbling with them. It's like, can we just honor what they see? Can we respect them enough to just listen and say, wow, that, that is the vantage point that you're from. And maybe we just listen and we be there with them and we can invite them. We can invite them to explore a different vantage point. Like, hey, are you curious what I see from where I'm sitting? You know, and I, uh, um, a very practical example I used the other day on a call with a client was, you know, when, when someone is down and you're, again, I'm using the analogy of climbing a mountain or something. And one of you is higher up on the trail right? You're maybe like over, you have the overlook, you already made it to the overlook and you have this like expansive view and you're like, whoa, whoa, (laughs) this is freaking amazing. I can see so much vastness. I could see so much green. It's so lush. I could see the valleys. There's a river down there. I could see the sunset. Meanwhile, the other person is walking up the hill and on that side of the mountain, it's dry. It's arid. It's a hundred degrees. They're running out of water. The rocks are slippery under their feet. And they're like, oh my gosh, it is so much work. It's so hot. I'm so tired. Nothing is going right. Are we ever going to get there? And all they can see is the dirt and all they can feel is the heat and the fact that they're thirsty. And they're telling you I'm hot and I'm thirsty and I'm tired and this is never going to end. Like, are you going to argue with them? that they're hot and they're thirsty we can say hey just a few more steps here I am I get that you're hot I was there too I was hot and thirsty and confused down there but I took a few more steps and here I am and this is what I see we can invite them into a different vantage point so this how does this come back to the honor thing well you know this comes back to the fact that I get to just honor where they are without having to defend explain get angry justify force them to see what I see I can ask them, would you like to know what I see from my view? It may encourage you. It may inspire you because I could see something different. But it's okay if they say no. Maybe they just need to be on the trail for a bit and grumble. (laughs) All right. And uh, thank you again for being here. Until next time, here's to loving fiercely and leading courageously as we lead the untamed life. Bye for now.